Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bex Ota, head of marketing at Trevor Sorby, and Tosh met through DJing in 2008. After several years of trying for a baby, Bex got pregnant through IVF in 2020. Soon we will hear Bex tell us about the birth of her daughter, Ray. It is a moving and honest account of a long and difficult birth, which Bex is still coming to terms with today. From induction to forceps delivery and a serious hemorrhage, nothing about the birth of Ray went according to plan. But this is also a story about strength, resilience and determination, and about finally meeting her long-awaited baby. My name is Caroline Johansson, and you're listening to the podcast To Become a Mother. Welcome, Bex. Hello. Welcome, Nairi. Hello. Nairi, you're here from Sage Femme, a private team of midwives in London, to answer any questions. Bex, you're a mother to Ray nine months and it is her birth that we will hear about today but before we get to that I'd just like to go back 14 years in time to when you met your husband Tosh. Wow is it 14 years that's a long time that's making me feel old now. (laughs) (laughs) Can you describe how you met him? It's actually pretty embarrassing. (laughs) Well my husband's a DJ so we both met through music So I was at university in Bournemouth and I was DJing with my friend at the time, pretty much in exchange for like pints and free dinners and stuff at a local bar. So yeah, he used to have a night there and like a regular night every month that he used to DJ at. So yeah, we met, we met there and had lots of mutual friends and that's kind of where it all began. And so when did you decide that you were going to try for a baby? Wow, we got married maybe like, I don't know, a couple of years after we met. And then I was quite young at the time. So I was 24 when we got married. And then I pretty much came off contraception probably when I was like 27, 26, 27, just to like see what would happen. You know, we were sort of felt like we were ready. We lived together for a long time. And but then kind of nothing ever really happened. So when I turned 30, we thought, okay, let's go to the doctor and just, you know, start investigations and see what happened. And that's when it was a bit more serious. You know, we were like, okay, we really want a baby now. Why is it not happening? And that's then what led us to, you know, IVF eventually. Can you describe that process a little bit? Sure. So 
When we went to the doctors, they first take a blood test to look at your ovulation. So everything looked fine from that aspect. And obviously with NHS, we love the NHS, uh, but it is quite slow sometimes. So, you know, it takes months to get an appointment with a consultant and you're waiting for test results, etc. But the blood test was first and then I can't remember if we had any other tests, but we got referred to fertility department at the hospital they then you have consultations, you have scans, they do lots of sort of tests. And actually, what was really good is that they kind of put you on the list for IVF, like as soon as you go there. So they're like, even if you don't need it, like there's a long waiting list, let's put you on the list. And then, you know, if we find out that actually everything's okay, we'll sort of, you know, you don't need to use it. So I thought that was really, really positive. They also do this test. One of the tests was actually really horrible. I can't remember the name. You might be able to help me, actually. Um, it's like a um, water test. They, like, flush your sort of fallopian tubes with, like, a dye, and then they, like, scan you. I can't remember the name. Possibly hysteroscopy? Maybe, yeah. That wasn't the first test that actually was quite invasive for me because it was quite painful. It lasted, like, 20, 25 minutes, and they were, like, scanning and... That was the point where basically they found, though they suspected that I had one blocked fallopian tube, but they were kind of like, okay, well, it looks like one is open, but we don't know for sure. And if you want to know for sure, you have to go for a laparoscopy. I'm saying that correct. It was like really minor surgery. And me and Tosh were like, we really want to know. Like, we want to know like what's going on. So we sort of booked that in and went to have that and then actually turned out that both of my tubes were blocked. So I'm pretty sure they do the same test, but they're kind of like inside you <laughs> at the time. So they can see exactly what's going on. And yeah, it turned out both were blocked. So then it was like IVF is literally our only option of having our own baby. And then that process kind of started. And I'm trying to remember the process of IVF basically, but pretty much, you know, you have lots of consultations and paperwork and things like that. Everyone was amazing at the hospital as well, like really supportive and like really local to us as well. And the day we were meant to start was the day of lockdown. So it was like March 2020. And I was like, do I start? Do I not start? Like, you know, I have all these, you know, medicines and tablets and injections that I have to do. Like, so I was like, oh, better call up the hospital and find out. And uh, they were like, no, no, like, you know, you're not going to be able to come in for your you know, checkups and scans and stuff. So basically I had to put all of the medicine aside and just kind of wait. And then that was March 2020. And then we had to wait until September to sort of start again. But we were very, very, very lucky to have it work first time, which we are just so appreciative of. End of 2020, autumn yes. 2020, you are standing there knowing that you're finally pregnant. Yes. Yeah. Which was amazing. It's, it's so funny because basically when they put the embryo back in, they tell you to wait for two weeks before doing a pregnancy test and I couldn't wait. <laughs> so I bought, I think I spent like over £100 on pregnancy <laughs> tests. And Tosh was like, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, oh. And I was like, the first one I did, I was like, I'm sure I can see the faintest line. And then every day I did another one and it got sort of darker and darker and I was like yes so yeah that I was um, very excited oh nice so your pregnancy continues how are you feeling feeling all right like I felt a bit sick I wasn't physically sick but felt all the kind of I guess normal you know sickness and a bit off food and then like emotionally I felt amazing like the only thing uh, we did have a bit of a scare when um, I was seven weeks pregnant I think 
So just before kind of, it must be November or December. And um, I woke up with lots of blood in the bed and I was like, oh, I've had a miscarriage. I really thought I had one and, you know, went into the hospital. And that was the one of the only times that Tosh couldn't come in with me because it's still kind of, you know, I think all the cases were rising again. Yeah. And I think that was the year that Christmas was cancelled. It was that year. And I think I had to wait. I went into A&E, that was it. And then they couldn't really, I think the unit, the scan unit was closed because it was the middle of the night. So I had to wait, I think, the weekend, a few days, until I could get scans. Oh, so long time. Yeah, because it was specifically the scan where they have to do the, the wand. sort of. Mm. So I had to wait, I think, until the Monday. and then. Um, but I went in, and then they were like, oh, no, the heartbeat is still there. I was like, wow. And they were kind of like, it was unexplained bleeding. I was like, I don't know what that really was. But yeah, that's so, such relief. And then my pregnancy from there was pretty straightforward I actually felt amazing like obviously the second trimester they always say that you feel the best and I really did feel the best I've ever felt in my life like I felt so energetic I was like still exercising a bit I just felt like my skin looked great and I think maybe there was another level of you know I felt so appreciative that I was pregnant and I could get pregnant and that it worked first time and I was so lucky and you know had such support system around me and yeah I felt I felt great. <laughs> yeah. And how did you, with the due date and approaching, how did you start? Did you do anything in particular to prepare for the birth? <laughs> yeah, I did a hypnobirthing. And yeah, I actually really enjoyed that. Like me and Tosh did it together and sort of watched the videos and practiced the breathing. We did the the massage, the perineal massage a bit. But I was a bit like, oh no, <laughs> we tried it a few times. So we tried to do a few bits of everything. It was kind of like a new adventure, really, trying different things because it's like a new, whole new experience for both of us. So, and obviously for the arrival, we just you know, had the nursery like decorated and, and things like that. So had the bag packed, all the classic stuff. And that was quite fun mm. to get everything ready. And were you excited about Barris or what did you feel about it? I think... Because I'd gone through quite a lot, you know, for years, you know, loads of different invasive procedures and, you know, lots of stuff going on. I kind of felt quite tough. Like I felt like I'd been through a lot. Yeah. I felt like I could kind of be ready for anything. And I knew that it probably wouldn't go to plan. Like they say that, you know, all the sort of birth stories that I'd read, they all say, you know, I wanted this and it actually didn't, it turned out this way. So I kind of felt like I was prepared, but actually I wasn't really prepared. I mean, I don't know if anyone actually is, but... Yeah, so which we'll come to, I'm sure. So you are getting to the end of your pregnancy. You passed your due date, right? So my due date was on a Wednesday. It was really hot weather, I think. So it was August, early August, and did all the classic things of trying to get labour to... Um, and actually, um, just a note as well, they sort of would say with IVF pregnancies, they kind of didn't really like to let you go a lot past your due date. There's some sort of risks there. I don't know if it's because usually there's more risks and with older women, not that I'm that old, but I think generally with IVF pregnancies is older women and so there's a lot more risks about going past due date. But I had to speak to a consultant and sort of agree with them that they wouldn't induce me and that's absolutely needed because I think classically they do induce IVF pregnancies. They don't let go past. Nairi, why is that that they would not like you to go over your due date if you're IVF? Is it just because of age or is there anything else? It's thought that IVF placentas stop working as well a bit sooner 
than in a pregnancy where it was a, a natural conception. And so in a way, you are treated similar to somebody who's older because the same thing can happen with older women. And whilst it's true that sometimes women having IVF babies are older, it isn't always the case, but the risk is there anyway. So even if um, you're sort of 30 having an IVF pregnancy, your placenta might begin to stop working a little bit sooner. The difficulty is is it's individual for everybody having a baby and um, some placentas will still be absolutely fine, but some won't. So that's why they generally encourage women to be induced before too long. They might scan to check that the placenta is still working. And they also get women to really think about how much the baby's moving because that's a, a really good sign that everything is still okay. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Makes sense. So, yeah, I was sort of conscious that I didn't want to go too far past. I was trying to do everything I could to kind of, you know, get labour going. So you did all the classic things like going for a walk, eating a curry. I had no idea if any of these things work, but you just sort of try them, don't you? And it's quite fun, you know. You've got the list. So the kind of that was the due date, it was Wednesday, and then nothing happened. And then my neighbour, Jess, she recommended having sex, like trying sex to like make labour come on. And so we tried that in the morning. I'm sure Tosh wouldn't mind me saying this. And then literally 20 minutes later, I felt like a pop, like a, almost like an elastic band go. Like you'd almost, I don't know if I visibly heard the sound, but definitely mm. felt it so strongly. And then I had a trickle of water and I was like, oh, is that it? Like... Because it wasn't quite, it wasn't a massive gush. I know everyone's so different with their waters, but it was like a trickle. So I was like, oh, we better go in to the hospital and yeah, and got checked out and it was. So that's the, the start of everything. Oh, wow. And just going back to the sex starting the labour. Now, is that true? <laughs> does that work? Um, it does work for a lot of people, obviously not everyone, but... There are prostaglandins in sperm can help to soften and ripen the cervix. And the other thing is that when you're really relaxed and having a good time, you produce oxytocin, which is the hormone needed for labour. And so because most people enjoy sex and they're doing it in a private place and they're feeling intimate, they'll produce more oxytocin. So it's probably a combination of, of both of those things. That makes sense, yeah. And so you come into the hospital, Bex, and what what happens then? So they sort of did a, a check, um, internal check, and I think they checked the waters and so I think I brought in a pad and showed, you know, because I think you, we were told to, from all the sort of prep, the, to wear a pad and, you know, bring it so they can check the waters are actually waters. So it all seemed like, yes, it was. And at that point, I was having some sort of twinges, like every 15, 20 minutes. So I was sort of feel the the sort of contraction starting. So, and actually it didn't even feel that painful at that point. It kind of felt quite nice. And also just like, oh yeah, it's it's starting. Yeah. But at that point, because the waters had kind of gone first and obviously I wasn't, you know, dilated at all. And they give you 24 hours to basically get to, I think it's three in three contractions in 10 minutes you're sort of aiming for. And then if that doesn't happen in that time, 
then you have to be induced to sort of speed up. So I went home and uh, again, did all the things you're sort of told to do, like bouncing the ball and just relax and kind of, you know, maybe get a bit of movement. So again, go for a little walk down, down the road and back. And just unfortunately for me, my contractions were always no less than 12 minutes apart which is really frustrating because you're kind of up for like 24 hours, you know, you can't sleep because you're still having contractions that are getting stronger, like they're feeling more painful and uncomfortable and obviously you're massive at that point as well. So you just, you're just so uncomfortable, you can't sleep or anything. So I made sure Tosh was getting some sleep because, you know, he would need to support me later on. I made sure I ate as well. And then, yeah, we went back into the hospital and then I was already four centimetres, so that was pretty encouraging. I thought, oh, you know, they were like, you're, you're going to probably have your baby today. And I was like, oh, like that's such a weird realisation to yeah. be like, okay, it's going to be today or soon. Yeah. The 24 hours rule, why is that? Why do you need to give birth within 24 hours of, or have contractions established within 24 hours of the water breaking? Different hospitals have different policies, but they all mainly agree that by 24 hours women should be encouraged to be induced if if they aren't in active labour and it's because of the risk of infection once the waters have broken after about 24 hours the risks of infection go up quite dramatically the difficulty is only about 60% of women will be in active labour after 24 hours and you can you don't have to agree you can negotiate with the hospital I'd like a bit more time to go into labour. But doing that, you then increase the risk of infection. So it's a difficult one. And 24 hours seems to be about right. But I guess the problem with having, with knowing, I don't know, but if you know that you have 24 hours to then go into labour, it's quite a lot of, I don't know, the clock starts ticking, basically. Yeah, pressure. You do feel the pressure. And that doesn't help you go into labour. No. (laughs) Yeah, you just have that in the back of your mind the whole time and you're, you know, the clock's ticking and it's the middle of the night and you're, there's only so many movies you can watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Bouncing on the yoga ball. (laughs) Yeah. So you come into hospital then and you pretty much know that you're going to be injuries to speed things up yeah I didn't realize actually you could negotiate the longer but I knew that there was the risk of the infection and stuff so I was was kind of happy to do it I mean it was encouraging that I was four centimeters they were kind of like you know it's it will probably happen quite soon that's what they kind of said although didn't actually end up that way so then I was kind of shown to my room and obviously I couldn't go on the birth center then because when you're induced you have to be monitored and they have all the equipment and everything on the labour ward but we had a really lovely like corner room and we bought so much stuff with us like ridiculous amount of stuff and I would definitely if we have a second baby not like you know (laughs) two suitcases of things but we did have you know really lovely light and we had like the room spray and Tosh had bought the Sonos Move massive speaker with (laughs) which is actually really like you know it sounded really good and he made this amazing playlist and you know so and you know everyone was commenting how vibey it was when yeah. they came into the room so it was really lovely despite it being more I guess clinical you know there's a lot of equipment and things in there but everyone made us feel at home. Had the induction started? No I can't really remember how long it was between when I went into the hospital and when I got induced but it must have been at some point a few you know not that long after but we got settled into the room and then at some point they basically said because I know with induction you can have like the pessary and mm, I can't remember if there's something else but the drip was like the next thing and they said because I was already four centimeters that to go straight for the drip 
that's what they'd said. I'm not sure if there's any particular reason reason why. The pessary is more about preparing the cervix, getting it soft and usually getting it to a point where it's two to three centimetres dilated. So because you were four centimetres, there probably wasn't any need for the pessary. So that's why they went straight to the syntocinon injection. What should you be aware of when you accept an induction like that? I think you need to be flexible and rethink your former ideas about pain relief, for example. And you also need to know that it does increase your risk of having an instrumental delivery, which is forceps or the von twos, which is the suction cap on the baby's head. And it does also increase your risk of needing an emergency caesarean because not all babies cope so well with the drugs used and the artificial strong contraction. So sometimes intervention is needed. So I think it's not a bad thing to go for induction, but you need to go into it with quite a flexible approach and and be open-minded to all forms of pain relief. I think there is a little bit, and I don't want to sound almost controversial by saying this, but there's so much messaging, I feel, out there about not using pain relief and that's that should be a positive thing and I think I was certainly like I don't want any pain relief you know pain relief is bad I want to do it all naturally etc and I wasn't prepared for how painful it was because I said as I said I thought I was quite tough (laughs) you know I've been through quite a few things before and I you know nothing like you know I'd never felt anything like that pain before the contractions as soon as I'd had the drip I was like wow that is you know I really want an epidural like now and you know the decision was so quick as well for me I was like I, I won't be able to do this for however many hours. And what is it with an induction that really makes it so painful? Because there isn't the very gentle build-up where contractions gradually get longer gradually get stronger and when it happens naturally your body matches it by producing your natural endorphins but when you suddenly get really strong contractions from nowhere your body probably goes into fight mode and you produce adrenaline, which contracts all your muscles. And I just think that there just isn't the same gradual build-up. And so your body feels it just as pain. That's a very accurate description. Like it just suddenly feel like, you know, I can't even remember feeling the pain before that point. Like I'm sure I did feel pain, but as you say, it was sort of manageable at the time. It was building. It was, you know, you could deal with it and... Yeah, it was a shock. It was a shock how painful it was. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Those contractions starts ramping up then pretty quickly. What happens next? So basically my waters had gone, as I'd said right at the beginning, but what I didn't actually realise until the day is that you have two or I don't know if they're like split into two, but there's like, correct me if I'm wrong, there's like the hind waters and the fore waters. Is that the description? Yes. Yeah, so it's basically the water in front of the baby's head and the water behind the baby. And what often happens is that there's a small hole in the amniotic sac and so fluid from the hind the baby will trickle out and that's when they say the hind waters. Yeah, so that must have been what happened with me. And um, so basically they were like, we need to burst the other waters. I think also that speeds up things then, apparently. So they said it would be quite a simple procedure, kind of like you're, again, having like a, you know, not a smear test, but, you know, you're kind of just being assessed in that way. And then, But they did bring out, you know, this massive kind of, or just, I mean, maybe it's bigger in my, in my memory, but this big kind of needle with like a sort of hook on the end. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what, what is that? But I was like, you know, it's fine. But I was not prepared for that. And I don't know if it was meant to be that painful but I was I was pretty silent like the whole of my birth like I was just you know internalizing it and that was just the way that I dealt with the pain but that I was literally like a screaming crazy woman like you could hear me down I'm sure the end of the corridor and you know I was saying stop 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 it just felt so painful and almost like they were rummaging around down there I didn't know what was going on and sort of saying to stop but they were like oh you know it's almost there it's almost there so I'm not sure what happened there that was probably the only bit where I just felt that just saying, everyone was so supportive. Everyone was amazing in, in the hospital and, you know, all the midwives. But I just felt that that was the only thing that I felt. I, I fed back to them. I wasn't happy with that because I felt like I'd asked them to stop. And I didn't feel it should be like that. It didn't yeah. feel right to me. Well, first of all, it shouldn't really have been that painful because Bex was four centimetres dilated. And it may have been somebody fairly inexperienced. But actually, when a woman says stop that should instantly be you stop. And, you know, consent is so important and she should have been able to say stop and that was the end of it. And maybe then have a discussion on some extra pain relief while it was being done um, or, or getting a more experienced midwife or obstetrician to do it. But no, it sounds unacceptable. Yeah, I wasn't happy with it really in hindsight. And I think that sort of just started the kind of negative feelings for me as well, because I did have quite a long way to go still after that. And, you know, I just felt, oh God, if that is painful, what is it going to be like? You know, the actual birth and 
So, and when I had, a, I had a kind of a reflection session with the hospital afterwards and yeah, they weren't, you know, they weren't happy. This was, with, you know, I had a chat with a senior person there and they, they said that was unacceptable. So they did feed that back to them, I'm hoping. And they said, you know, they should have stopped and offered pain relief, you know, maybe had the epidural happen earlier and then they would have done it. So yeah, that was, that was kind of the start. But I guess it reduces the trust that you have for the people yeah. taking care of you in that situation. A hundred percent. And because obviously that was my, the midwife who was there on for that time. And I know they have the 12 hour shift. So actually when I, the 12 hour shift came, she was really lovely, like personable and everything, but I didn't trust her. And I was really happy that the next person came for their shift. And then that woman was so amazing. And she was a lovely Spanish woman. And she was there with me the whole way. And I just felt so, I'm glad it was her because she kind of, you know, I got trust back in the room, you know, it felt much better after that. And so they break the waters. Mm -hmm. It's very, very painful. Yeah. Epidural is. (laughs) Then you get the epidural. Yeah. So I was in a lot of pain then. I can't really remember too much of that time. I was on the gas and air and (laughs) probably for quite a long time before that. And uh, yeah, so I had the epidural and that felt fine. I don't even remember that going in or any pain with, you know, because obviously it goes into your spine. And that was great. I kind of had a lot of rest then. I felt I definitely had, you know, a few hours of you know not really feeling much. And that was nice. And you could just relax and me and Tosh have sort of a bit of a joke and he could go out and get some lunch, you know, stuff like that. So this is kind of I went in, I guess, at 9am or something like that at the beginning of the day back into the hospital. And so this point was probably the afternoon, evening time. And then unfortunately, when as things started to ramp up, my um, epidural stopped working on one side of my body. But at that point, it had kind of progressed quite a lot. And they said it was too late to change it. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, I had such relief. And then suddenly, and I was starting to feel really uncomfortable. I think you're kind of, your body just kind of relaxes into the bed, but then you're, you actually can't really move it. So I started pushing around about midnight. So this is, you know, almost a day, I suppose, in the hospital. And then a, a day, obviously, before that, you know, since my water's broken. So getting quite tired. And also I sort of had forgotten that you can't eat when you have an epidural. So Tosh had brought in all these amazing snacks and they were like, don't eat the snacks in front of her. You have to go (laughs) into the corridor. You can't even show, you know, you're having anything delicious. And obviously you can only have water and I can't remember the the sports drink. And why is that now? Is that because um, it will stop working or what's the reason for that? When you have an epidural, you're more likely to need to go to theatre although the risk is quite low it's there and if you go to theatre with a full stomach it can cause complications if you need to have a general anaesthetic so they prefer you to have an empty stomach and sometimes you get given a drug to reduce the acid in your stomach as well so you might have had that Bex. Probably I mean by that point, you know, you're sort of so busy anyway. It didn't really, I mean, you felt a bit, sort of a little bit weak, but you feel exhausted anyway. So I kind of didn't mind too much about the food. And then, yeah, so it's midnight and started pushing and basically just kind of really putting my all into it. And weird, I kind of quite enjoyed that section. I think it's just because, you know, the baby's going to be here soon. And even though I was feeling the pain on one side, I don't know if it's like adrenaline or something, but I kind of felt almost a bit of relief that that was happening and I was really in the zone I wasn't even <laughs> saying anything you know Tosh was just counting down until the you know for me when to sort of breathe and push and 
the lovely midwife, Spanish midwife was there. So it just, it felt really good. But basically she, I think in the end she was quite a big baby. She was like eight, three. And apparently I've got a very small vagina. I was told as I was pushing, they were like, oh, do you do your pelvic floors a lot? And I was like, yeah, like I've been doing them for a long time. Like I kind of thought that's what you're meant to do, you know. And they were like, oh, you know, it's just very tight down there. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't really need that information right now. And what what is this comment? First of all, it's really unhelpful because Bex was in the situation that she was in. And so anything personal like that was unhelpful. Also, it's very rare that a vagina is actually too small. Well, not really the vagina. Occasionally, a pelvis can be too small. But the fact that Bex went on to have a baby vaginally really shows that it it wasn't true anyway. And it's just such a personal comment. And, you know, when you make comments to women in labour, you have to bear in mind that they are likely to remember them for a very long time. So being positive and helpful is is what women need they certainly don't need things that take away their confidence yeah and the fact that I remember it so clearly you know shows that you know I can sort of almost laugh about it now but it definitely wasn't helpful at the time you know it was going on for so long I'd been in labour for so long and I just really wanted just to get to the end and you know anyway so basically I was pushing for an hour and they, you know, I think the doctor or you know the senior person came in. They were like, you know, do you want to push for longer? And at that point, as I said, I was kind of felt like I was quite strong, and you know, I was, I was doing it. And so we were like, okay, we'll give it another hour. And so I was pushing again for another hour, but again, she wasn't coming out fast enough. So at that point, you know, they were like, the only really option is like Vontu, so, you know, forceps. They recommended the forceps, and I was kind of happy to do that. But again, you know, you see the. <laughs> You see the kind of, I remember them also looking, looking like shears, you know, they're so, they just felt really big. I mean, maybe it might be my memory. Were they giving you an option here, forceps or something else? Or was it just forceps that was? I can't remember. I just remember that I felt like it was the only option, but I didn't mind because it was like, you know, they're the professionals and you're, you just want the baby out really. It's funny because in hindsight, I do remember them talking about a C-section at some point. But it almost felt like it was the pressure was on me to make the decision. And I know that's the good that's a good thing. You know, it should be you. But I felt like, oh, I kind of need, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's right. And, you know, in advance, you have a look at the pros and cons of C-sections and emergency C-sections and things. But I think at the time, I just kind of was like, I'm just happy to go with what their recommendation is. So basically, they used forceps. They were like, we're going to have to do episiotomies, so the cuts. And I was like, fine, just get, get her out. It's fine. And she came out and she was put on me and that was amazing. And it's so funny because apparently I was like, oh, she's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. <laughs> they look so weird. Um, no, I was like, these are amazing. I think it's like all the, you know, all the oxytocin or whatever. Yeah. You know, just like, it's so funny because she had quite a hairy body, like black hair. And Tosh was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, she's so beautiful. Um and then I can't remember how long it was. It wasn't very long at all. I think it was a matter of like a minute or something. And then basically the emergency buzzer was pressed. I don't think I heard it, but basically, you know, because everyone runs in. And it felt that there was about 15 people in the room. There was a lot of people and she was whisked away and given to Tosh. And I couldn't see where they were. I knew they were sort of, you know, on my left, but there were so many people around. They were telling me what was going on, but I was just 
pretty high on gas and air at that point. And, you know, it was just, I remember it being very scary and, you know, apparently I was bleeding out and, yeah, they had to sort of prep everyone and everyone's coming in. And then I remember a lovely, um, I can never say the word right, anesthesiologist. That's not word. Yeah. That's not the right word. The guy who puts you under... <laughs> <laughs> he came in and they're always really lovely in my experience when I've had surgery and stuff before they're really nice bedside manner so he was quite calm and he was like look we might have to take you to surgery and you know they were asking questions you know about my medical history and things but fortunately I didn't have to have surgery they managed to stop the bleeding in the room and I can't remember again for how long that went on for but quite a while and apparently I'd lost like half my body's blood which I think is two litres and then after that I was lucky that I could, in a way, stay in the room. So that was at like 2 a.m., so 3 a.m. at that point. And um, we basically stayed in that room recovering for like a long time. They, they Apparently they usually move you out quite soon onto the ward, but they let us stay in the room for a long time. So I could have like a shower and, you know, in sort of private room and stuff. What was going through your head when that was happening? I was terrified. Like I've never gone through anything like that. I think because Tosh, I couldn't see where they were, you know, I was really panicking. And I, I think when I panic, I go really quiet, which is weird because I'm quite chatty usually. <laughs> so, you know, this surgeon or you know, whoever is speaking to you and there's so many people and lovely midwife was there holding my hand and, you know, but it was terrifying. And also my epidural had stopped, you know, working by then. So everything was just horribly painful. And the most vivid things I remember is that someone was pushing on my stomach, like really heavily and... I was like, what is going on? What's going on? And I think, you know, they probably did tell me what was going on, but I just don't, I just didn't know. And it was so painful. And apparently that's because my uterus relaxed and it's meant to contract afterwards. And apparently that sort of was the bleeding. That was the, the cause of the bleeding. Can you explain a bit more about that, Marie? So when you bleed from anywhere in your body, you put pressure on it to slow the bleeding down. But when somebody's bleeding from inside their uterus... The pressure has to come from all of the tiny muscles in the uterus contracting. And so if the uterus relaxes, as it often does after a very long labour, because it's tired, the bleeding is very, very heavy. So what Bex was having was massage to try and make all those muscle fibres contract. And it is really, really uncomfortable. Massage. And sometimes they have to put sorry to be graphic, a fist into the vagina and then at the same time rub the top from the outside and just clamp those two, the fist and the hand together and really make the uterus contract and squash it and it's excruciating but it can be life-saving as well. I mean it's hilarious that they call it massage isn't it? I think they need to, yeah. they need to rephrase that. Yes. <laughs> but so that was quite a lot for me. You know, that was probably the, the biggest thing I've gone through in my life that in that particular moment as well, because I didn't know where they were. That pressure was happening to me and, you know, didn't know what was going on. And I kind of thought I was going to die because, you know, it was just a lot to take in. And, and then someone telling you you're going to have to go for emergency surgery, you're like, oh, you know. But fortunately, it was, you know, they managed to control it and, and sort it out. And Tosh, how was he? Because, I, I mean, like, he must have been in the room. Yeah. So he was watching all of this. Do you, have you spoken to him afterwards about what he was thinking? Yeah, he was, he was in bits. He was just, he was holding our baby, trying to, you know, baby crying, trying to be like, oh God, it's the first time I've held my daughter. It's supposed to be like the most amazing experience. But mm. he probably thought I was dying as well. So he was, yeah, he was in bits, but trying to hold it together, I think, at yeah. the time. And so 
they managed to stop the bleeding and you are, are you taken to your another room after that? So I stay in that room, which actually was nice because we had all the lights and everything. And actually it was kind of a bit of calm then. I was, just, I was exhausted, you know, and I, yeah. I think I managed to sleep a bit a couple of hours or doze off or something like that and you know she was just asleep as well so I was like oh maybe it just be like this now and then um you actually do feel amazing afterwards like all of the emotions and everything you're like my baby's here she looks amazing I thought she looked amazing anyway <laughs> and then you're kind of wheeled through like it's funny when you get kind of wheeled through in the bed to the wards you're kind of holding your baby and you're like oh is someone going to take her like, no no you hold her and you yeah. sort of wheel through and everyone's like oh congratulations and that was really lovely you know that was kind of like you're you're sort of pushed through on a throne it kind of felt you felt really buzzing and then you go on the postnatal ward, is that the right phrase? And yeah, you're kind of there and they obviously just make sure that you can breastfeed and you're recovering. I mean, I obviously had to recover a little bit longer. That was Saturday morning at this point and I got home Sunday night. So actually quite quick, really, for what happened. I was desperate to go home, really. I didn't want to stay in the hospital for a long time. So, but I, I, I found it quite difficult on the ward. I think, you know, all the midwives, again, are amazing and they really try and help you, but you kind of just feel like you're on your own. I think I think you just, first baby, you're like, I've no idea what I'm doing. And my milk hadn't come in because I'd been through the blood loss and the shock and everything. So my milk wasn't coming through. I was desperate to breastfeed her. I did have some formula in my bag, but I kind of, again, I felt kind of not from the hospital per se, but maybe just in general, like pressured to breastfeed. And so... You know, she was screaming. She was so loud. She still is, has the loudest cry. <laughs> She's got the loudest cry. She's got big lungs. And, you know, it was like, you know, middle of the night at that point and she was desperate for milk. And so I did feed her formula in the end just to get something in her. My milk did come in before I went home, but that was a really tough night because, you know, I'd been through a lot. I'm still getting to terms with it now. You know, it just happened and you're with this baby you've just met and, you know, she's screaming and you'd want to do the best for your baby but mm. you know and tosh is not there right because of luckily COVID, actually like, he was allowed oh he was allowed i don't okay. know whether it was because of our circumstance yeah but he was there the whole time and i was so appreciative of that so i mean li- nice, literally yeah. squished into this little you know cubicle <laughs> with just curtains you know between you and the other mums yeah. but yeah he was there but he did go home and get some more clothes and things and take some all of our other stuff home because we didn't need it in the end so yeah that was fortunate I was really fortunate in that sense and you come home what is it four days after I guess in total I was in labor for like I guess two three days and then yeah then came home on the fourth day so on the Sunday and I was so relieved but like again it's just in a lot of shock and how are you feeling physically because you've lost so much blood yeah I had to have iron transfusions and so I had, I can't remember how many of those, at least two, I think. And I had injection, antibiotic injections that I had to give myself for a week as well, as well as like iron tablets, I think. I was exhausted. And that was the, the shocking bit for me as well, that even though I knew I'd gone through this big thing, like I was, I'm always so active and I wanted to go for walks and things like that. And I physically couldn't for like two weeks. I couldn't go to the end of the road and back. I was so tired. And also my feet were massive, like I couldn't fit into my shoes. I don't know if it's because I'd been immobile for so long in the bed, but they were massive, huge, like swollen. But to be honest, you know, apart from being a bit frustrated that I couldn't get out and about, I was just so in love with my baby that it was fine. Just sit on the sofa and, you know, feel tired and just nap there and, you know, get as much sleep as possible. And obviously Tosh was off work for a couple of weeks, so... 
that helped. But that goes so quick. Thank you very much, Bex, for sharing your story with us today. I think I'll speak for both Nairi and myself when I say it was very moving. So yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you, Nairi, for answering the questions. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.